0: Like me, you've probably heard tons of advice in the last 10 years on how to work with the millennial generation in the workplace and how to manage them and how to lead them and how to get them engaged. But what happens when the millennials themselves now become the managers? In today's episode, how millennials who manage can overcome workplace perceptions and some valuable lessons for all of us. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 227. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you to develop your leadership skills. I'm so glad you're back with us for a conversation today. And speaking of being born, today we're going to tackle the generational question in a pretty big way, and I'm really glad to have back in the studio a friend of Bonnie and mine for a number of years. And also a returning guest to the show, and that is Dr. Chip Espinoza. Chip is the academic director of organizational psychology and nonprofit leadership at Concordia University, Irvine. And he previously was on episode 158 on how to lead the millennials. Chip has been a leader throughout his career at looking at the research around millennials, in particular, Millennials in the Workplace and how organizations are navigating a question that's challenging, not only for organizations and leaders, but also for Millennials themselves. And I'm really glad he's back because he is back today with a new book that's just uh, been published. And the book is called Millennials Who Manage, How to Overcome Workplace Perceptions and Become a Great Leader. Chip, welcome back to the show. Dave, thanks. It's great to be back. I think the obvious, well, maybe not obvious question, but is so. You, this is your
1: third or fourth book now on millennials, right? This third one, and then next year we've got the second edition of the first one, Managing the Millennials. Oh, out. So okay, good,
0: good. Been busy. It's been good. Well, good. Well, we're going to have more conversations in the future then. And this is this is a topic that it seems as time goes on. There's there's just more and more conversation that needs to happen. I'm I'm hearing regularly from organizational leaders that we work with on how to navigate this. Uh, why this book now, though?
1: Well, it, it, the, the fascinating thing to me is I love to go and speak on the topic, keynote. And usually after you do a keynote, you do a question and answer, period. And that usually drives my research, to be honest with you. So when I was uh, lecturing on managing the millennials... And I would do Q&A at the end. A lot of people would say, well, what about millennials? What are the adaptations they need to make in the workplace? What are the challenges they face when they're coming in? And of course, so then uh, I researched the work for millennials at work to identify that. Well, recently, as I've been doing onboarding with that work, as well as training managers how to manage millennials, during Q&A, people were starting to ask, well, what if you manage somebody that's older than you? What do you do about that? Uh, and the challenges that they're facing, and, and really what's happened is millennials, the what I call the first wave, people that went to work before 2009, are starting to hit their first management positions. And so it's getting more and more acute as far as being a, a problem that they're having to deal with.
0: So the millennials now are themselves becoming the leaders in the organizations that were in some cases struggling with how to... Reframe their perspective yeah. on 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 how they when they they approach the workplace, and so now they're also running into some of these challenges with how do I manage some of the people who are coming from maybe a similar framework as them, but are approaching work in a different way than you and I approached work when we came into the right. workplace.
1: Right, absolutely, and. The thing that I write and I take on here, I did a lot of research and talked to millennials who had made that transition. And I said, you know, what were the tra- the challenges of moving from being a peer worker to being the boss of your peers or people that are older than you? And you'd be fascinated by this. The number one thing is? a redefinition of relationship with their peers at work. Mm. And they talked about how difficult and how lonely that process is because people that they used to joke around with, hang out with, make fun of the company with, are now saying, look, I don't want to hang out with you. You're the boss now. Uh, I had one, one female manager say, my friend even unfriended me on Facebook and it devastated her, but her friend said, look, I don't want you snooping in on my life. You're my boss now. Yeah. And of course, that's not, that period of time doesn't last a long time, but while you're going through it, it seems like forever because all of a sudden the people that were your friends, that you were socialized with, that you enjoyed about work, they're not the same anymore. The second greatest challenge, and you'll love this, was the fear of disappointing the person that promoted them. Oh, interesting. So they got into these jobs. And of course, in, in, if you look at my original work, those millennials that can build relationships with authority figures, that can initiate a relationship, which in my research come out to about one in five, they're the ones that get promoted first because they're trusted. Uh, somebody can communicate with them. But what also happens is that they get this trust sometimes because they appear different than other millennials. And so at the moment that they try to find their own voice and be authentic and lead the way that they believe they should lead or want to be led, then their bosses kind of, you know, confront them about it. And that fear of disappointing that person that promoted you really weighs heavy on them. And so in the book, I really address to say, and, and this is resonating. It's, I've gotten so many comments on this and I was really surprised by it. But if you think about it, Dave, in life, the people, it's not the people that are against us that are going to hold us back from achieving what we want to. It's really the people that love us the most. Because when there's a threat to the relationship where it's going to change that dynamic, a lot of times that will be sabotaged by the people that love us. Whether we're have a scholarship to go to college a thousand miles away and people don't want us to be so far. And so therefore They'll do things down their mind. So I, I remember one time when I was younger and I was going to take a promotion and my boss told me I wasn't ready. Mm. And, he, and, and really, as I reflect on it now, it was more of a function that he didn't want to break up that that partnership, that that teamwork that he and I had that was synergistic. And he didn't want to see that.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. And, I, and, I, and one of the things that I, I hear you saying too, and, um, and, and you can tell me if I'm reading too much into this, the... Part of the dynamic is of those millennials who have figured out really how to interact with more senior leaders in their organizations, those one of five, like you said, right. who have kind of figured that out and navigated that. Now they now they're needing to turn around and to lead the millennials who maybe haven't figured that out or are coming from a different perspective. And all of a sudden now that's a really different that's a really different dynamic than they've been working towards over the last few years of building more relationships with maybe senior management and not necessarily thinking as much about maybe their peers or the people that are at, at, now at the lower levels in the organization, that's, that's probably a big challenge for folks going into that well, situation. Well, you're, ab- you're
1: absolutely right. And, and, and that's where I'm, I'm going to play a little more off of that fear of disappointing your boss. Because if you're afraid of disappointing your boss and not doing what you believe you should do in a situation and not finding your own voice as a leader you'll come off as being inauthentic. And if you come off as being inauthentic with your peers, you're going to be looked at as a brown nose and that you'll do anything to get the approval in favor of the people above you, but you're not really there for the people that are with you or work with you or for you. And so you're, you're absolutely right. That definition of building that relationship, rebuilding it with peers, it's critical that millennials find their own voice in that they're authentic.
0: I'm I'm struck and I'm I'm sure you are too, Chip, in working with organizations that it's my senses is, is that this dynamic of that that moving into that first management role and the challenge that comes along with how do I interact with people who were formerly my peers, that's something like we just never talk about in most organizations. And yet, like you said, that's a really intense, it's a short transition time, but right. it's an intense transition time that's really difficult. For especially a younger person, in many cases, in an organization, to navigate, what in addition to just being aware that that's a difficult navigation point and that that's normal, what other advice do you have for millennials who are in that position or maybe will be soon of how to how to navigate that with some success and with some confidence?
1: Well, I have to tell you this, we've probably talked about this before, but one of my mentors, which I never met, and I wish I'd have gotten on a plane and went and heard him lecture, but was Dr. Edwin Friedman, who was a family systems theorist. And he used the term self-differentiating. And he says, we have to understand where we end and somebody else begins. And we can't allow other people's behaviors or th- what they say cause us to be reactionary. And so the whole key really is to learn self-regulation, not to get hooked when people go, you're a brown nose or when your boss says, and by the way, here, if, if you're a millennial and you're managing and your boss comes to you and says, you know, you've changed since I've promoted you or, you know, I'm not so sure that you're the person anymore or you still have a lot to prove. A lot of those things can be triggering comments because that boss is feeling threatened by your own personal growth and where you're going. And what you have to do is you have to self-differentiate. You have to say, that's really not about me. That's about them. And, I, and I'm not, and it takes some sense of critical self-examination and self-awareness to, to be able to determine when is somebody being authentic with us in telling us what we really need to hear, even though we don't want to hear it, and when are they doing it, really is a function of trying to find balance in the relationship. Mm. And so when you can self-differentiate, you have the ability then to not react in a way that could be detrimental to your own personal leadership or to the interaction with the people you lead.
0: What's different about the people who find that differentiation and and, and find that that's... Cl- it, they have an easier time navigating that and making that distinction from those that just get lost in the in that mess of like, oh oh my gosh, everyone's saying bad things about me. How do I how do I really understand what's helpful data and also what's maybe not helpful?
1: Well, I think and and you'll be familiar with this literature, but the emotional intelligence literature. Oh it's yeah. that self awareness piece. And we know that people who are self aware have a much greater propensity to be able to self-regulate their own behavior and to manage relationships. And so, you know, going back to Friedman, he said that in leadership development, the focus should not be on how do we get followers to do what they need to do. The focus should be on the self because the nature and presence of the leader that most impacts the system. So if we're looking at a, a, a millennial manager now who's feeling the pressure from peers and feeling the pressure from a boss and what you have to do is not get hooked to where you're an anxious presence that's reacting, but you're simply saying, okay, this this is a growth period for me. And I have to understand that I'm going to be in here, but I cannot allow myself to not self-regulate.
0: Yeah, Ch- challenging and when you're in that time. And, and uh, one of the great things I've always loved about emotional intelligence and the research is that uh, a very clear... A uh, very clear consensus, I think, in the research and the practical and the practitioners out there, that it's learnable. Uh, yeah. You can get better yeah. at that. Unlike IQ, which is harder to develop, you know, EQ is uh, there's a lot you can do, and I'll put some of the links into the the books and Goldman's research on that, which will be helpful for people. And, and speaking of things that are learnable, Chip, uh, one of the struggles I've heard recently, even from folks who are in our mastermind, uh, some of whom who are millennial leaders one of the common challenges i hear and i know you have too is a millennial gets into a position of leadership and all of a sudden they find that they're struggling with leading people who don't have the same social skills that they've developed or just don't just seem to have never developed good social skills or just a framework for how to behave well in the organization or work on a team and i i feel sorry for some of the situations i've heard about recently where i just feel like people show up in organizations coming in and they just don't have the they just didn't get the equipment they just didn't get the support from their family or their educational experience to have developed that uh, what are you seeing with that and and how uh, have you found that millennial leaders are are navigating that with any success
1: well what's fascinating uh, from the research for millennials at work one of the challenges that they face at the workplace that they profess to face is their own inability to communicate that they have they have challenges with communicating with older workers.
0: Oh, so they say that about themselves. They say that about
1: themselves. They know that they come across as curt, short, abrasive. They get that. They struggle with that. They're aware of it. And they really want to have good relationships, but they know that part of it is their own fault. Now, when you look at millennial managers, and, and by the way, the criticism of people over 35 that are managed by people under 35, one of them is poor communication skills. And, and what's fascinating is that millennial managers, the younger, so what I would say that 18 to 24, if they're in management, maybe they're in retail or whatever, they, have, they happen to be a little more re- results-oriented and less people-oriented, which is very interesting. So they're very direct, and this is what needs to be done and how it needs to be done, and get real frustrated when somebody can't track with them. Uh, the millennials that are 25 to 34 scored very high in empowerment very high and emotionally, all these different skills that you would need for managing. But the one thing that came across clear from the older workers was that they felt that the communication skills of millennial managers suffered.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So, so that's a an obstacle for sure. Um, and I'm am curious too, Chip, and you you alluded to this just a moment ago. Um, and we actually did an episode about this two or three years ago about how to manage someone when they're older than you. Right. And um, and Bonnie and I did an episode on this because we both had, ne- had navigated this a lot in our careers where right. we were often the younger person in the room, but in the leadership role. This is a reality for many millennial managers as they get into this role, as they're often managing teams of people, in many cases, everyone who's older than them. What advice do you have for millennials when they're in there? they're making that transition as well too, where it's the dynamic of, it's not even just the managing a millennial population, but also managing potentially uh,
1: older workers too. Yeah, absolutely. And let's start with communication. Okay. The thing that we're saying they struggle with. One thing to do if you're a millennial manager is communicate in the medium that your older workers appreciate. And, and for a lot of baby boomers, that's still the telephone. You know, pick up the phone, call them, you know, you may be sitting a- across the hall from them and, but pick up the phone, call them and, in and, and talk to them that way. Or if it's texting or if it's email or whatever, but somebody's preferred mode of communication is to start with that when you build a relationship.
0: And if you don't know, ask, right? Yeah, exactly. Or, or just watch and see what they ask to you. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think another thing that's important here too to understand, one of the struggles that millennials had is ha- holding people that are older them than, than them accountable. Okay, mm. so they would cut older workers a lot of slack, and they talked about this that they would even do their work for them. Um, oh, interesting. They would overfunction, and because they're, they're achievement oriented, they want to get things done, but it felt a little awkward about really being directive or holding someone older accountable. And and really, a lot of millennial managers get played by older workers.
0: Hmm. interesting,
1: because they've picked up on you know these these superhero millennials who really want to shoot to the top and will not fail at any cost, and therefore they have a tendency to some kind of play rope de dope if I can put it that way with them
0: interesting so um let's say I'm a millennial manager and i'm either I sense that tendency in myself to maybe maybe that I have a little bit of discomfort of approaching an older worker than I would up here or someone who's younger than me. Or maybe I get the sense that that's happening a little bit in the organization. As I'm maybe getting a little more pushback from from those who are at of a different generation. What what's the how do you resolve that? Like that's there's a lot there. I mean, there's a lot of like baggage there. I think that comes with a lot of us right. anytime. And I'm, I'm thinking back to one of the reasons we did an episode on this because we get this question a lot of like how do you navigate that? Because it really you know we've all been taught respect our elders I and mean, all exactly. those things that we all learned when we were kids and. Um, What is? Have you discovered any hacks like people who have just found a way to really help that? Yeah,
1: one of the things, and I mean, this is really quite simple. And but just simply go to the person and say, you know, how would you handle this situation? How would you handle this situation if you had somebody that was, you know, not doing their work or not showing whatever your problem is? Ask them how they would handle that situation. Another is perhaps to say, of all your favorite managers, tell me what they would do in this situation. And what you uh. do is you get the focus on learning what they prefer, but an ownership on their point to go, okay, something's going on here that needs to be addressed and I need to take seriously.
0: And here's how I maybe have a preference for that right. to be handled or how this should yeah, exactly. be handled. And then you follow that path, yeah. you know, and-
1: or they say I'm busted. I better start performing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Interesting. Well, it, it it is funny how, you know, part of being a good manager is also, setting some clear boundaries. And if you do a good job early on in that relationship, that that's, that's the hard part here, Chip, is that you, if you don't do that well early right. on, it takes a while to correct that back. Yeah. But if you can just have, even sometimes that initial conversation, like you said, it's just like just bringing attention to it early on, that sets an expectation with people very early in the relationship. Like, okay, you know, they're paying attention. They you know, regardless of age, you know, we have a job to do. Here's the performance expectations. And, and I think that helps people to navigate things a little bit better. So, right. So part of what I'm hearing here is lean into discomfort Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And
1: you have to be comfortable with it. And if you shy away from holding people accountable, then you're not going to be a leader very long.
0: One thing I was interested that you, you had brought up in our conversation about uh, the book uh, before we started recording is that, um, about some of the things that people like about being managed by millennial leaders, which, which is great. I'm glad you, you focused on this aspect of it too. What are the things that when you talk to people in organizations that they really like and appreciate about the millennials?
1: Well, the, w- one of the top things that came out is that they are approachable, or another word that they used was relatable in the sense that they were accessible to talk to. Another thing was that millennial managers were understanding Somebody came to them with a problem. They were more apt to listen and, and try to be empathetic with them, which again goes to kind of an emotional intelligence kind of thing. They found them to be creative, high energy, fun. Those things they really valued about the workplace that, that millennial managers brought. The, the things that really were challenges for the older managers, one term that came up over and over was immaturity or that their millennial manager was so focused on their next promotion that they weren't actually functionally at a high level in their current position. Mm. And so you had this sense of we really like our millennial managers, but here's the other side that that you have to to look out for if you're a millennial manager. How much time and focus and energy am I putting on my next level? And, and if you're a if you're truly a millennial, you're doing that. Okay? <laughs> There's no question that you're doing it. It's a matter of how much focus are you giving to your current job, your current team, your current responsibility? And the people that are watching you usually are older workers to see if you're taking it seriously. And so that was one of the places where they said, we need a little more, you know, millennials need to focus on what their current job is.
0: The term immaturity is one that I think can be perceived a lot of different ways. When you hear that and when you ask some of the follow-up questions, what are the kinds of things that, and maybe some of the examples that people mention or things that come up that then get put under the bucket of people thinking about immaturity. I'm
1: so glad you said that because I define immaturity in the book is a lack of self-regulation.
0: Oh, so it comes back to what we were talking about Exactly earlier. right. Yeah. The golden
1: thread. And, and and quite frankly, Dave, I mean, you, there's something in psychology that we call selective attention. And like if you, let's say I want to go out and buy a Honda Civic, Right. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to look for Honda Civics. That's all I seem to see on the freeway yep. because I'm filtering out everything else I'm not looking for. Well, the same thing happens really in this generational study. It's that when you see a younger manager do something, right, and you'll focus on that and call it a negative behavior. I'll give you an example. Let's say a millennial manager rides his bike through the office, right? And everybody would go, how immature, you know, what, what, what's she doing? And yet a 60-year-old manager can ride a bicycle through the office and everybody will cheer her on Mm. and think it's cool. And so we interpret really through this generational lens a lot is we attribute to millennials some of the stuff that we're looking for that we want to justify our opinion. And so I think a lot of times in millennial managers out there listening to this, let me tell you, you can't get hooked by this kind of stuff. You have to understand what's going on here and you're the same the same challenges you had coming into the workforce in other words being listened to being respected uh people thinking you're entitled those kinds of you you're, you're going to still have that in your transition into management i know it's going to be frustrating but you can't let that stuff get you off your game hmm. when
0: you talk to the folks in other generations in the workplace and you're talking about millennial leaders what advice do they have? Like if they can wave their magic wand, what are the kinds of things you're hearing them say of like, oh gosh, I just wish that they would do this or if, uh, you know, here's the kinds of things that I'd want them to be thinking about in that role?
1: Well, it's, it's funny because in, in here, I'm going to come full circle again. So when I interviewed millennials, what they wanted out of work, out of a manager, it's almost the exact same list. I mean, that's what we want at work. We want to be respected. We want to be listened to. We want to be valued want to be recognized, some of the advice they gave to their millennials, be confident, be yourself, be true to yourself. And those are the things that they're looking for in their manager.
0: You know, it all comes back to the core human yeah. relations. Where where do you put, like you were saying of the, it, there's nothing wrong. In fact, there's everything right with wanting to advance your career right. and being smart about that politically and and the focus there. And also- how do you care genuinely for your team now and right. to demonstrate that and show that each day and the, those core things like, uh, are you familiar with, uh, the project oxygen at Google oh, yeah. of, Matter of, fact, yeah, you're yeah.
1: going to love this. It's in the book. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. okay. so, go ahead, go ahead. so we use project oxygen. We, we use that manager expectation model basically of what we want and we use that as our survey benchmark. Nice. And so when we interviewed people under 35 and over 35 about their managers, we based it on that criteria. And millennial managers scored either in the top one or two positions of all generational leaders in every category. Wow, cool. I mean, isn't that amazing? And and the reason why, you know, you can hear it my voice, I get excited about this stuff because to me, I think millennials have a much greater opportunity to really do the things like Peter Drucker wanted to do or Douglas McGregor wanted to do some of these organizational theorists in the human side of management that they really want to see the organizations move towards being worthy of human habitation. I think millennials can move that needle more. And the reason being, as you think about it, we talked about emotional intelligence earlier. That's not a concept you have to sell to them. You don't have to convince them to take some kind of, um, psychological testing to find out, you know, what's what's their personality. They love that stuff. You know, conflict resolution, uh, empowerment literature, they gravitate to it. It's just natural to them. And so for other generations, some of them that we've had this push for training and try to get them on board with it, uh, you know, some they really embrace and others, you know, may be reluctant and said, what's this got to do with the bottom line? Well, millennials, I I think, come in – really with with a much better understanding of these concepts that differentiate us in the workplace to be better leaders
0: I love it I love it chip and I, you know and I'm realizing uh, you know I was just thinking about you and I for a second forgot that we had several thousand other people listening <laughs> and she would probably say what project oxygen is for those who don't know I think we've mentioned on the show before but chip you can correct me if I'm wrong but basically what Google did is they spent several years doing research right. on their organization and figuring out what are what's the best Management concepts or principles that, uh, that, that we should have as an organization for what do we want our managers to do? And I think the biggest surprise was that there wasn't really that much of a surprise. I think many people in our audience guessed at what the eight competencies are. I mean, most people would get five or six of them right off the bat, you know? And, it, and so it's, it comes back to the core things that we know as far as respect and, uh, and having a voice and influence. I mean, all those things that we know that are important about leading people well. And so it all comes back to that fundamental of how do I, within the framework of my experience and and my relationships, how do I stay true to that that core, those core principles that are important in every organization?
1: Right, exactly. And you know, Google did that study because they started out believing that they didn't need a management level, mm-hmm. yep. and so once they figured out, well, we need managers. Well, if we need them. We better figure out what they should be doing. And yeah. so, that, I mean, that's what was fascinating about it. But it, it, here we go in having this discussion. But this, this is what's fascinating to me, okay? We know what to do, but we don't do it. And, and so there are some nuances to that. And so what I try to do in my work is try to address where is the breakdown? Where's the tension? Where is it that people get off track in doing what they know to do to be right? Ineffective, but they don't do it. So, if you look at managing millennials, when I have managers going, Well, I, I know I need to develop others, I know I need to be recognized people and reward people, but why don't I do it? Well, because I'm frustrated with them. I perceive their behavior as being antagonistic and defensive and abrasive. And so, once I understand their value system and who they are, then I can adapt my management to it. And so, really, that's kind of in millennials that work the same way, coming in going, Well, I culture shock. Everybody, these older workers seem to hate me and they don't like me and they're making my life miserable. Well, here's where their value system comes. This is why they're behaving that way. And don't take it personally. And then of course, now looking at millennials who manage, here's, here's what you're going to feel. There's, there's going to be a painful period of about 18 months when you make that transition and redefine your relationships. And the first time you disagree with your boss and when there's fallout, what are you going to do about it and handle it? And so that's that, those are the points where I think make or break it for us. But
0: well, you're so right that common knowledge just is not common practice uh, mm-hmm. for so many of us, and it really does require that discipline. And so uh, for, for those listening who are uh, millennial leaders and maybe are in that even 18-month zone now or just beginning or will be there shortly, uh, what would be one thing that you'd say, based on your work with Millennials Chip, that, that likely is something they already know but they haven't yet taken the action to bring as part of their their behaviors. What, what where's a starting point?
1: Well, I, I would say at it, 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 the last chapter of the book, I entitled it "Getting to the Next Level," and millennials still will face the lack of, of of experience argument against them when they're trying to get to that next level because that's just that's the way it is. No matter how much experience they gain, they're always going to have less than those older generations, you know, that are in the workforce. Sure. But lack of experience is something that they can overcome and they're doing it and they're getting it. So to me, that's not the major challenge. The major challenge they have of getting to the next level is their lack of patience. Oh, interesting. And, and patience is critical in leadership development. And there's a concept. uh, Written on Mitch Cousy, wrote a book, and one concept was too much too fast. You can literally be promoted too fast and beyond your competency, and it ruins your career. I have a wonderful story of of a young lady who's a former student of mine Hmm. who was working for a a great company, what I call a sexy company, you know, a company that everybody would want to work for. And it's, you know, you see it in magazines and it's glamorous. And she had been in a job for about four years and, and her boss left and she put in for the job and, and only to find out she didn't get it. And they brought somebody from a different part of the company. Another year goes by, that person leaves, she applies again, doesn't get it. And they bring a person from another part of the company to, to work it. So now this person's resigned a year later and she's thinking about putting in for it, but decides, no, nah, I'm going to go to a different company. I'm tired of being told No. She finds out a week before she's going to interview with a new company where she's set to leave in her mind. She gets called in by her boss, her boss's boss, and she says, look, we've been grooming you for this position for the last two years. We wanted to hire you the first time. We, didn't, we felt like it would be too much for you at the time. So we brought the best person in the company from this area for a year and the best person in the company in this area for a year, and now... We want you to have that position. Oh, wow. Well, she's blown away. And she talked to me about it in in the stories in the book. But she said, I wish they would have told me up front. I said, but here's the problem, really, for for millennials is there are no guarantees. So companies aren't going to say, look, hey, in two years, we're going to give you this position. They're just not going to do it. They're going to look at how you respond to the training, how you respond to pressure, deadlines, you know, all that stuff. Can you self-regulate your behavior? Because now they're looking at you to move up the ladder. And, and so for her, she goes, well, I wish they would have told me they were developing me. It would have made that a whole lot easier. And I said, well, yeah, in a perfect world, maybe that's what we should do. But the fact of the matter is we have to learn patience. We have to ask ourselves the questions. Maybe there's a good reason I'm not moving at the pace that I want to move at, but I'm moving at the pace the company wants me to. What can I learn during this season of my life that I'm not moving at the pace that I want to move at? And Patience is really the key, I believe, for this generation to really do something special. It's the one thing they're going to have to to do a little better on.
0: Chip, we frame this conversation around millennials, but the advice is really helpful for, I think, any generation, any age in the workplace. I mean, so many things you've mentioned, I think, regardless of your age, regardless of your experience, are the kinds of things that we should all be thinking about when we're thinking about our career and how to influence people Well, so thank you so much for your wisdom. Uh, Thank you for your work in this area. It's, it's. I mean, speaking of patience and commitment, I mean, you've had such a commitment to this work and to this generation over three books, working on four. Your, your research, your academic work, uh, the work you do in organizations. So, thanks for being a leader in this way. And I really do hope people will uh, will check this out as a good model to be able to utilize.
1: Well, Dave, I appreciate it, and I and I have to just close with this and. I really wrote this book as a labor of love because I, millennials have done so much for me in my career. I love them in the classroom. I learn from them. They're remarkable. And this book, I wanted to write for them. And you're right. This, this is a management leadership book. It, it could ap- apply to anybody. But I wrote it to them because that's who I really want to help get to the next level.
0: Chip Espinoza is the author, with Joel Schwartzbart, of the new book, Millennials Who Manage, How to Overcome Workplace Perceptions and Become a Great Leader. Chip, thanks again. Thank you. A big thanks to Chip again. And if you're like me, you've heard a lot here that's of value, regardless of what generation you show up in in the workplace and who you identify with and You know, whether you're the millennial manager or not, inevitably your organization is having more and more uh, folks who fall into this demographic who are now in leadership roles in the organization. So I hope that there's something here, if not for you directly, something you can take away that'll help support those people in your organization. And as always, uh, we welcome your addition to the conversation as well, too. You can reach all the show notes for this episode at coachingforleaders.com slash 227. The next Q&A show is coming up on episode 230. Once a month, Bonnie and I turn over the uh, direction of the show to you and respond to questions. If you have a question you'd like us to consider for the next episode. We we already have a bunch actually already, but uh, there is still room for more for the first episode coming up here in February. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, and you can submit your question for consideration. And if you're not already subscribed to the show please do so. You'll get episodes every Monday. Just search for Coaching for Leaders on whatever app or service you're using. And while you're online, if you haven't already here, take a moment to join the weekly leadership guide. I deliver it to your inbox every Wednesday, and it includes my thoughts and recommendations on the best articles, podcasts, videos, and books that will support your development between the shows. It also will include a a link to the show notes each week. Uh, So if you're listening on the go, like I almost always am when I'm listening to the podcast, uh, that's a great way to tap into the resources that we mention on the show and the notes and some of the quotes from guests. And as a bonus, when you join the weekly leadership guide, you'll get access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you to get better results from others and brief summaries for me on the value of each of those books. It's a great place to start your professional development for the year. And if you read even one of those books on the list this year, it will help you to lead more effectively. I know it will. So if you'd like access to that guide and the video that comes along with it, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe and that will get you started with everything that'll be uh, helpful for the reader's guide and finally this week a big thanks to david in the uk tracy in china keith in australia great to chat with you keith and annie hanif and craig here in the states for the great reviews on itunes thank you so much to all of you i am very grateful if you have been listening to the show for the for a bit and uh find that you can offer a review on iTunes as well or whatever service you use. It's a huge help in the show continuing to grow. Uh, Take a moment to go to iTunes at coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes or coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher if you use that. Thanks in advance for your support. Have a fabulous week and I'll look forward to talking with you next Monday. Take care.